0: Still too loud, still too loud. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. 10, hello. 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. Okay. <clears throat> Welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm Jason Lequier, the show's long running producer. I'm not normally on this side of the microphone, but on this episode, I'm speaking with David and Nicole about what it's been like to make the show over the past two years. Bit of a different dynamic. Mmm, we've. We've turned the microphones
1: around. It's kind of scary. For you or us? For me. Okay.
0: It's nice if you can just sit back and let other people ask questions that
1: you've
0: written ahead of time. So this is our last episode for the year. Last episode of the season. Last episode of the team together, actually. It is. It's a little bit sad.
1: It is a bit sad.
2: It's also a little bit happy. Yeah, it's great. It provides opportunity for other people.
0: And we're moving on to new, exciting projects, which I want to talk about in a moment, I'll ask you about. First, though, we have produced nearly uh, together uh, across a range of topics, a wide range of topics. We've interviewed people in the studio, out of the studio, we've experimented with recording people in the streets, recording people in their own offices. So I want to know, maybe David, can you tell me, what was your favorite episode And why?
2: This is like when you explain to your children, you know, which one of your children is your favorite child. It's (laughs) a very difficult question to ask because they're all your favorite. I can tell you probably my favorite moment in an episode. It was when we were interviewing Katangeli Mm. and we were talking about uh, morals and decision making and the trolley example emerged and there was this very... It was visceral, the feeling in the studio, as she started to explain the implications of this.
0: So the trolley, is on the path where it's gonna hit the five people, um, and he can switch this lever, which can then divert the trolley to the other track where there's one person that's tied. So the dilemma is, do, does a does person flip the switch to divert it where only one person dies instead of five? Mm-hmm. And the utilitarian argument here is that the person, that's the right thing to do. Morally, that's the right thing to do because you save five people even though you're diverting the trolley to And complicit in
1: killing that one. Yes,
0: exactly. The, the deontological argument would be that it would be wrong to do that um, because you're basically then um, culpable for, that, for killing that one person uh, and
1: you should just let nature take its course. Wow. <laughs> I'm just feeling a little bit uncomfortable now. <laughs> this is great.
2: That I think was probably my favorite moment. Sorry to all the other people we interviewed. You're all my favorite
0: too. <laughs> yeah, but that was unprompted. She kind of she put us in a in a moral dilemma without us knowing that that was going to happen. Yeah, it was pretty interesting actually. Yeah. Okay. That was a good episode. That, and in that episode we actually went to Nick and I went to a hotel somewhere in somewhere Sydney. In c-
1: some, a hotel in the middle of the, the CBD. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: To interview uh,
1: Adam Ferrier. Adam Ferrier. Yeah, that marketing guru. He had he had plenty of pearls of wisdom, and it was quite of loud there. That was also an experience of learning how to record when you know, with noises going around everywhere.
0: <laughs> you're in a loud lobby, and you're asking people in this fancy hotel if they can just turn down the stereo. Can you turn down the jazz? <laughs> yeah. And do you remember uh, the first first question you asked Adam?
1: How did you convince us to meet you in a hotel lobby for an interview rather than in our studio? So I think one of the most exciting things I've found out in psychology and advertising is the best way to get somebody to like you is to get them to do you a favor. So the more you can get people to invest into you rather than the other way around, conversely, the more they like you. So if I'm worth trouncing all around town to come here and be interviewed, then I must be, in your eyes, really good or else you'd be a mug to do that. Mm -hmm. So the more I can get people to do stuff for me, the more they like me. And the same goes for everybody. So because he he has a theory around how you get to, you know, how do you persuade people to do things? And part of it is you get them to do a favour for you. So we were doing him a favour. We
0: were doing him a favour. That was actually one of the most um, downloaded episodes, that one, Moral Mindsets and Decision Making. Yeah, interesting. Very popular.
2: I get feedback on it from time to time. Yeah, from friends or you know people who listen to the podcast, and they often comment on how useful that episode actually was.
0: Oh, really? Hmm.
2: In what way? Sort of helping think through their reasoning around the choices that they made and the significance of morals and moral philosophy behind how you construct your choices and being able to explain uh, what you do
0: which we kind of touched on actually that wasn't the only time that we talked about morals or ethics we also spoke with dr simon longstaff from the ethics center remember that was in uh, the teaching ethics to finance students episode
2: That was with Gerhard Hambusch. Mm -hmm. He is an incredible educator and he was so exciting in the studio. It felt like you were in his class. Mm. It did.
1: I want to take his class, actually. Mm. Mm. So much energy. He's a great teacher. He's a great teacher. Mm.
0: But can we talk about maybe uh, this was the first time either of you had done a podcast, right? Mm -hmm. First time ever. Oh, yeah. You You can hear it,
1: right? If you go back to our early episodes. (laughs) I mean, the wonder producer was able to try and make us try and oh, make a sound okay. But I mean, if you go back to some of our early episodes, we're like, "Oh my goodness, there's a microphone, we've got headphones on."
2: I mean, we were all ah. winging it. Let's be honest. Well, actually, at least <laughs> Nicole had a monumental advantage over me, and that is she used to listen to podcasts. Right? I right. mean,
1: used to, still do, still do, still do. So you
2: you hadn't even really listened to podcasts. Ah, uh, not before. A lot. I, just wasn't, I'd prefer to read books. In in fact, Nicole, by classic conversation, either after holidays or after the weekend, I would usually go, oh, on the weekend, I was reading X. Mm -hmm. And Nicole would go, well, actually on the weekend, I was listening to this podcast that was explaining X. And so I think our sort of medium. It's quite different.
1: I, I read some books too, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nicole uh, doesn't read. <laughs> yeah, but no, no, no. It was kind of a introduction of like, oh, there's this in this podcast and this in this podcast.
0: Did it feel yeah. like you were speaking the same language when you, when you speak podcasts and David speaks the book that he read? Were they compatible? Were they Come yeah, to, I think so. Like it's, it's
2: about the exchange of ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Mm. I was just more conscious of like it felt like, oh, well, I heard this in a podcast and you just have this constant thing, mm. and I heard this in a podcast. Mm. And you're like, oh, I've got to reference something else. And so then I'd be like, I heard this interview. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you got Someone self-conscious. saying this. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember where I picked this up before. Yeah. But really behind each of those statements is I heard it in a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you
0: have to couch it in different language. Yeah. yeah.
2: Having now listened to quite a few podcasts, Mm. a a really good podcast gives you the capacity to translate uh, an idea in a a simple uh, and digestible way, but it doesn't mean it doesn't doesn't have significant implications. Mm. And so engaging with ideas in this sort of medium, it gives you the capacity and the free will mentally and think through or reflect on what those implications might be for you as a person. And sometimes when you read a book, you may be, or readers may be less inclined to do that because you're sort of reading through and the author's got plenty of time to sort of develop the point and develop the implications, and so you're following their logic through Mm. as opposed to perhaps forming your own.
0: Mm. Whereas maybe this plants the seed a bit for a particular topic and... Mm a listener would go and research it further. Mm -hmm. I would hope.
1: Mm. I mean, the the other great advantage of podcasts is that you get to hear the emotion of the person talking. Mm. Uh, So if we go back to Gerhard, like you can't help but like be infected (laughs) by his enthusiasm about ethics and finance and different ways in which you could bring this out in a classroom and I just don't think that level of enthusiasm translates to if you were to perhaps read about mm. ethics and finance in the classroom. And so that, I think that's one of the great things about podcasts and having people here for conversations is that you can really kind of pull that out of them. And and hear you know, their passion about these different topics, which when we're dealing with academics – Quite often we have to translate our research and communicate about our research in academic journal articles, which are intentionally dry Mm. because we want to sound very scientific, incredible and persuasive to our colleagues. Um, Or occasionally we might write to the business press or the conversation, but you don't get. You know, the emphasis, the surprise, the laughter, the in-jokes, yeah. all that sort of stuff. And so that's been one of the real pleasures about working with this medium is to be able to bring a little bit more personality to the academics that do this sort of work.
0: I have to say, yeah, before Gerhard came into the studio, I hadn't spent a whole lot of time reading about ethics and finance.
2: Actually, you're right. Someone said to me the other day, a, friend, a good <laughs> friend of mine said, oh, Brownie, you know, that podcast you guys did about financial planning, that was so interesting. Now, this is the only time I've had someone say to me, gee, financial planning, that's really interesting. Yeah. You're probably right. They wouldn't have got that if they'd read it in a book.
0: This was the episode with John Tyler, yeah, Professor absolutely. John Tyler. Yep. Yeah, it was fascinating because it wasn't just it wasn't just someone telling you you should invest in real estate. It was uh, someone... We talked about why it was important to have financial literacy and why there were gaps in in Australian society and how they could kind of be addressed?
2: I must confess that anything to do with financial literacy, unless it has an immediate effect on you, isn't going to be very interesting. Talking about things that will affect you in many years to come. You know, we say in the superannuation industry, there are two kinds of people, those that worry about superannuation and their children or those that don't worry about superannuation and their parents. And it is very much of the, of that case. It is difficult to worry about things in future years. In the same way, it's very difficult to say to somebody who's 20, you really shouldn't get these tattoos now because do you think you'll be wearing the same clothes in 50 years? You'll be wearing the same tattoo. And now I've turned your audience off and I do apologise. That's <laughs> okay.
1: I mean... I've probably got an even better example. Do you remember yeah. when we went down to Canberra and we interviewed other people at Treasury?
0: Yep. Matt Flavell.
1: Matt Flavell, yeah. Mm. How enthusiastic was he, you know, like in terms of putting together the federal budget? I don't think, I mean, it really did rival Gerhard in terms of the enthusiasm, the the passion, the pride yeah. like, and that, just having an insight into these people's actual work practices and how much pride they take in doing them and all the different subcultures that might exist, it really kind of put the person back into, into the story. Uh, I mean, that to me was like one of, one of the most fun episodes to do, was to actually just kind of reveal these unsung heroes. So when does this process begin? So it's a bit like with the Olympics. When one Olympics
0: is finished, they're already into planning for the next one. It's kind of the same for a budget. Yeah. It it, it takes something that generally budget coverage is who's the who are the winners, who are the losers. There's this m- moment of fame. How long is the budget speech often? It's like half an hour. Yeah. And yep. so the treasurer gets this moment where they get to kind of spin it in a certain way but to actually speak to the people who are in the bowels of the treasury building actually putting it together was super interesting and remember he said that uh it goes on to a usb that then goes to the printer like such a minute i don't know detail was really fascinating that mm, it just mm. it made it so much more i don't know it's a humble process in a way yeah
1: it really humanized it uh and i think if we're, in the context of trying to understand business topics. And this is something where we started, right? We wanted to get behind the buzzwords. We wanted to bring people in to talk about business topics who perhaps hadn't engaged before, were prevented from engaging before, or who weren't interested in engaging before, and actually open them up and going, actually, they're not, you know, it's not just jargon. Um, It's not irrelevant. uh, And it's not, It's not these kind of intangible things which have got nothing to do with people. Like it's about people, um, it's about society, it's about inequity, it's about morals and it's really relevant. And it can be also kind of funny and kind of interesting too. Hopefully by through talking to all our guests, we've been able to kind of open this up for people who otherwise perhaps would glaze over when they hear things like tax. Or
0: intangible assets. Or
1: intangible assets. Or wealth inequality. I mean, it's kind of a, it's a buzzword, right? Yeah. But at first you hear wealth inequality. And you're like, hmm. But then when we got to talk to Peter... Like, I was really struck with how important this topic is. I mean, it's definitely one of those episodes that I've thought of several times since and reflected on, you know, what are the factors that actually determine whether or not each generation truly has an option, mm. an opportunity to create their own wealth, to have access to education. Uh, like, it was a really societally important topic. Absolutely. Um that we got to unpack once we got past this kind of just buzzword of wealth inequality.
0: Yeah, and then you also in that episode got to speak with Bob Carr, which was interesting.
1: Oh, in this very studio, that was. It was. Wow, that yeah. was. I mean, it was like it was a quick interview. <laughs> he he he's a man that has things to do. He's an important yeah.
0: guy. He had two book launches that night, I think, and two, yeah, he had to be at the podium Yeah, 10 yeah. minutes later. Yeah,
1: that was great. Why does having equal opportunities for within a society, why does this matter?
0: Well, if you haven't got equal opportunity, if you're disadvantaged because of where in a city you live and what the income level of your parents is, then we're asking society we're asking society to live with a servant class, as in so much of the United States.
1: That was fun because I, I remember being able to reflect back um, to the Honourable Bob Carr about the fact that I was the product of the education system that he presided over. So that was a really nice loop back in that one. Uh, and for me, that was actually a really human moment, that, like a moment where we actually connected it's kind of interesting, the time that you presided over the education system and in the capacity of the Premier, I was actually at primary school, high school and university. So I am, in fact, are kind of the product of the system that you presided over. So I'm interested in understanding what sort of initiatives did your government do that shaped my prospects?
0: So it wouldn't have been the case with you, but there would have been youngsters falling through the cracks because they couldn't keep up with the rest of the class in reading. My initiative, and I'm proud of it to this day, was to introduce reading recovery teachers, to go in and coach youngsters having difficulty when it came to that, that most fundamental of all skills, being able to read. It
2: was, it was, an, it was an interesting moment. It's it was. a little bit like an architect looked at a building. Mm. I created that. I designed that.
0: Wow. That's no longer a CAD file or whatever, yeah. Rhino file.
2: Exactly. He's sitting in the studio and he's going, wow, that really capable young person. She, that person's a product of the education system I designed.
0: Mm. Hmm. And is now asking my really tough questions. My fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, another thing I want to talk about, uh, it's an auditory medium. People can't see us, though we are really cool. We are very, um, you know, hip. You guys are. Um, no, the whole
2: young. team. The whole team. Well, Dave comes in on no, his motorcycle. Oh, yeah, oh, oh, you're
1: cool. To, you, look, yeah, you've got a motorcycle your <laughs> a T-shirt. Yeah.
2: Well, safer to have one on my T-shirt than actually ride one, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. It wouldn't fit in here. Uh, but they can't see how cool, generally, maybe not today, but how cool our socks are. And I, I was thinking about this. I don't know where this, the goofy socks thing started, but... Um, it was early on. It became a thing.
1: It was early on. Again, when we were a little bit nervous about doing this whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that the, it
0: was a? it became a good luck charm?
1: We were kind of, you know, a bit apprehensive. And then there was one day that I think, I think Dave because he's quite observant. And one day Dave noticed you, Jason, wearing some funky socks. Yeah. Uh, and he made some sort of comment about, oh, nice socks. And you know, oh, yeah. Because I think they were ones that perhaps they had the Mona crosses on them, perhaps. Is that is that right?
0: Either that or they were the ones that I've got that have um, bananas and whales. Yeah. I, I mean, don't that, know why. And that's going to definitely
1: um, draw an observation. <laughs> and then... He revealed that he too was wearing some funky socks. Yep. And then I pulled up my pants legs and I was wearing funky socks too. And this was a it was a real team bonding moment going, oh, we're gonna be fine. Yeah. We've all got funky socks on today. This interview's gonna be a breeze.
2: And then what happened post that point, of course, is that anytime anybody went away or wanted to buy a present for the group, what did they buy? Funky socks. Socks. It's like we're all hmm. grannies. Let, let's buy them <laughs> socks.
0: This concept, evergreen, right? So this is a concept that we have discussed or have touched upon in podcasts. It's something that podcasters talk about all the time. Uh, Listeners might not be familiar with it, but evergreen, when we're talking about evergreen, we're talking about creating a, a podcast episode or some kind of digital content that is relevant to the larger social conversation for as long as possible. And we try to do that with most of our episodes. We try to do things that are not uh, not going to age immediately. Firstly, had you heard it before? Uh, yeah, I'm aware yeah. of
2: it. But I think from a research perspective, this is what we do in research. When we conduct a piece of research, we try to produce something that is what we would describe as generalizable. So it goes beyond the specific study or circumstance in which we examined it and is applicable in other contexts. In fact, when we develop theory in research, which is the explanation as to how and why things work, we often talk about boundary rules, so boundary conditions. So what are the boundary conditions in which that piece of research Uh, exists or those findings hold, and then to what extent does this then translate into other settings? So every time we do a bit of work, I mean, that's how we get relevance and Mm. reach and citations out of our work. So the principles are the same as what sits in a a podcast.
0: But uh, some of the the evergreen episodes that we've done in the past, uh, I was looking back at some of the episodes that we've done, and some of them are currently very much a part of the larger national conversation or international conversation uh the first uh that i came across was earlier this year we did end of life care an episode of end of life care and we it was another canberra interview uh we spoke with someone from palliative care australia right we did we did an episode that explored a topic that's kind of tricky and difficult for some people
2: Uh, We do find
1: that patients will come in and they have an idea of what they want on their funeral, but they have no idea how they're going to get from being alive to that point.
0: Obviously, there's now the Royal Commission into Aged Care uh, and you are now doing research in aged care. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think Nicole and I have been very fortunate. We had a fantastic PhD student, Rachel Lewis, who was doing a case study in uh, a company in the aged care sector and we're interested in a particular set of circumstances that we're exploring. So it's to do with something called interactive control and this company came up as being an ideal example of how systems work interactively and it just happened that it was in the aged care sector. Now I'd had some awareness that Nicole had a real uh, sensitivity to older people. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this, but she was very close to... Nicole gran- is good with older people. Her grandmothers, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was very close to you know my uh, grandmother. So I guess perhaps we both shared that, although Nicole's far more developed in that area than I am. And then this idea sort of emerged that we'd been doing this work and it became very clear to us that there were some pretty significant challenges in the sector that maybe weren't as salient to us before or perhaps we hadn't realised. And we were having one of those reflective moments when we're thinking about the research programs that we're involved in and, you know, the other people we research with and sort of discussing where we were going to go next. And in this discussion, it sort of emerged that, you know, maybe this aged care sector is a a sector that could really do with the kind of work that we do and a kind of contribution that we can make. So we could spend our time, you know, helping companies, you know, make more money. Or how do you design management systems to make shareholders rich? I mean, we could do that. Or we could do research where we help enable... Uh, a sustainable, you know, economically, socially and environmentally aged care sector. And so we made the choice to go for the latter and then develop a research a program around that. The funny thing is the discussion we were having was we really need to do a systematic study of the aged care sector to find out what are the systemic or common problems in the sector. And then we can think about where we'll direct our research and but what who, do you think emerged? Who could do that? Who could do such a comprehensive mm. study? And then the Aged Care Rural <laughs> Commission and Safety, you know, the yeah. Rural Commission emerged, and it became very clear to us that that was probably going to provide us with what we would perceive as being the systemic problems in the sector, which could then guide the work that we do, as well as the work of a lot of other researchers which we're involved with.
0: That's interesting so a lot of the things that are a lot of the findings from the royal commission plug right into your research you're able to use a lot of the the data and the findings.
1: Yeah, so in one sense it saved us have normally in a in a research program when we kind of set out to look at an industry or kind of do a series of projects within an industry you want to get you know out there talking to people in all different you know all different stakeholders within that industry to understand how it all works how everyone relates to each other what are the funding flows where are the pain points where are the pain points of different people in the sector uh, and so normally we would do that work ourselves you know and you'd go and read everything you can about the sector as well sounds and like it, fun oh it's it's a really it's a really uh, enjoyable part of the process yeah mm. um, but usually, this is before you even start doing uh, particular projects because you want to scope out kind of the landscape of an industry or a sector before kind of really targeting um, key projects. So it's really enjoyable, but um, it usually is quite time intensive uh, yeah. and and takes yeah takes a bit of time. And in one sense, the royal commission, as it got announced, I mean, it just kind of short short circuited that process for us because we can, in one sense sit back and let the council assisting kind of ask all these different people in the industry what are the problems, what are the causes of the problems, what are the implications of the problems. Can you show us all these exhibits to show to that provide us evidence? And so we can use the commission as uh, as a data source to unpick what we see as the problems and also reflect back and compare which Our our diagnosis of what the problems might be out of what's been said at the Commission might not necessarily line up with what the Commission has come up with. Mm -hmm. It's not saying that we are right and they're wrong or the other way around, but it provides an interesting um, other perspective about what things, what areas we should be focusing on in order to help improve uh, the sector.
0: Another time, actually, it's interesting that, um, you know, you've kind of, um, we've skirted another Royal Commission previously. Uh, That was the Banking and um, Financial Services Sector Royal Commission. I don't know if that's the full official title, but we did a collaboration with History Lab. Mm -hmm. You and I, Nicole. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, For people who haven't listened to that episode... Can you give me a synopsis of what, what was it that we did? They,
1: well, they definitely should listen but to that episode. They should. Uh, it's one of my favourites. Um, so in that episode, uh, we go back to the point of origin of Australia's banking uh, system. Uh, which goes way back to colonial times, back 200 years, uh, back to the time of Lachlan Macquarie uh, in the colony of Sydney. And we started that investigation uh, examining the origins of the first bank in Australia Um, which was at the time called the Bank of New South Wales and now it's called Westpac. Uh, And we were interested in, in particular, a mysterious first transaction uh, that happened when when it began. On April 8th, 1817, the Bank of New South Wales opened as the first financial institution in the Australian colonies. It was established by Governor Lachlan Macquarie, who advocated its potential to increase the wealth of free settlers and emancipated convicts alike. But when the first customers arrived for the grand opening at 10am in what is now downtown Sydney, they found someone had already made a deposit. Three days before, one Jeremiah Murphy had somehow managed to deposit a huge amount of money. So, how is it that someone could get into the bank before the ribbon was even cut? Uh, no spoilers. I, I don't want to give too much away because <laughs> I definitely think uh, it's a really interesting uh, episode that I'm following our investigation as well. So, I don't want to kind of have too many spoilers in there. Yeah. Uh, but it's funny how, again, if you look at evergreen episodes some of the questions I think that episode raises in terms of the degree to which banks should be responsible for the sorts of transactions that go through them Mm. Um, uh, I think it's yeah absolutely very much in the news again very
0: relevant yeah Mm. and uh, we got to speak with the Westpac historian uh, who was very helpful and forthcoming and we spoke a little bit about uh, yeah the importance of knowing your history
1: current CEO, thankfully, is a history buff. His undergrad degree was in history. He understands that you don't get to be where you are without actually understanding where you've come from. I mean, I, I really enjoyed that those series of episodes we did there because um, in going back to where banking began, we also then unpacked, you know, the reasons why you might have a bank or indeed, money in the first place, uh, and I really enjoyed that because it really it you 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 take a lot of these things for granted. You know the fact that there are banks, the fact that there is kind of financial services, the fact that that we do have money, or that we have credit cards that make things work. And if you go back in history to the points where, or just before when these things existed, then it actually transforms your appreciation for the role they play in society today. Yeah. Uh, and since doing that that investigation, even like the the episode we did on what is money, I think really helps inform my thinking at least about well, if we think about new forms of currency today, you know, like cryptocurrency for example, mm. the lessons about what is money and how does it work, Uh, incredibly helpful for then understanding what would be cryptocurrency and how does that work today or how should it work, what are the attributes. Absolutely. Yeah, that kind of lends to it being evergreen as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, What are some other um, episodes or interviews that you really enjoyed?
1: I'd like to reflect on some of the episodes which were really tricky to record. Yeah. So do you remember... There was we. uh, Uh Do you remember? Actually, (laughs) there's two instances that come to mind, but um, uh, one in particular was a stormy Friday evening down in Dremoyne. and
0: it's a section of Sydney for people who are not in Sydney. Yeah,
1: part in Sydney, and we're at Dremoyne Oval, and it was. I was in the in my own car, sitting in my own car, and it was bucketing down absolutely bucketing down and there was a storm raging. And whereabouts were you at this point?
0: I think, so there's always some, behind every episode actually, there's always something where I'm scrambling to to get the tape right or get a microphone or get run to get extra batteries or something. And in this instance, I think I was at a bus stop sheltering from rain coming from all directions and lightning with a bunch of gear trying to, to Get a ride.
1: Yeah, this is, and this was the episode that we did um, around the rise of professional uh, women's sport in Australia. And it was, in one sense, really great to be able to go and watch a game and record that and see between uh, the greater. Greater Western Sydney Giants and I think it was the North Melbourne Kangaroos. Was it? Yeah. I think so. But, yeah, it happened to be a particular evening where there was such a massive thunderstorm that the lights went out the stadium. I it think was,
0: lightning hit the lightning field, hit right? Lightning hit stuff. No, yeah. not
1: the field, but I think it like it was definitely... It was
0: just more epic in my it mind. It
1: was really epic. And I was like, <laughs> gee, we were soaked to the bone. You've got all this electronic equipment. Yeah. It's like, oh... <laughs> Hey, Nick. Hey, Jason.
0: I'm glad we're here.
1: Me too. Me too. I'm really glad we're here, though. Mm-hmm. So basically, yeah, get through the sticks, don't be greedy, and kick it. Yeah, that's, that's kind of AFL in a nutshell. Yeah. Thank you. We got the audio. That's great. Yep, yep, yep. We,
0: and we interviewed Tracy Taylor, who's no longer at UTS. Yeah. She's Dean uh, over at Murdoch. But yeah, that was an amazing episode. And relevant mm-hmm. again, because... The AFLW is coming back for its third season, just about to come back. There was all kinds of, not long after that episode, there was all, there was kind of a, a controversy about around a photo, mm-hmm. then just generally um, controversy around the conversation about the discrepancy in pay mm-hmm. and professionalization mm-hmm. of women's sport. But nonetheless, um, AFLW. Yeah, but,
1: but, and since then, uh, the Australian women's uh, soccer team or football team, but you know. Soccer <laughs> have now got that landmark pay deal, you know, where it's on the same on the same par as that as the men's team. So it is interesting to see how these topics have evolved this year uh, since yeah. we've had recorded those those interviews. And yeah, again, each time that happens, you're just forced to reflect on some of the conversations we've had with these uh, really wonderful academics uh, mm. here in the studio.
2: When we started the exercise, it really was about trying to translate the research that's being done. And often academics are a little bit disinclined to go on the media because they have such deep knowledge about a particular topic. They're often incredibly... modest and humble people as well. So you can't be in the quest for knowledge and think that you know everything. So every time you talk to an academic about their research, a good academic about their research, they'll often be very circumspect and never give you a direct answer because they're going, well, it really depends because, and and so on. And I think that has provided a little bit of a barrier sometimes in accessing academic knowledge and the great wisdom and expertise that they might have. And what we're really trying to do is elicit that out of the academics and providing... Provided in a digestible form for uh, listeners, which I think, you know, given that a lot of our research is paid for out of public funding, is kind of an entirely reasonable uh, exercise. But also, I think Nicole is an incredibly curious human being. And I think that curiosity and interest in academic research, well, all sorts of academic research, has been one of the great um, uh, points of the show in the capacity then to draw out of those. people who are doing research, what the sort of lessons, issues and implications might be associated with it. Because it's not easy to get on top of uh, such breadth and depth of work and then be able to ask meaningful questions mm. about it. All right.
0: Well, it's time to go to our respective holiday parties. Should we do the sign off together? Maybe.
1: Oh, but how Surely. are we going to sign it off though? Well,
2: it's not going to be until next time. No. Yeah.
1: Oh, I mean, it it will be until next time for the next, you know, the next people who take take on Think Business Futures. I'd I'd like to think we're leaving it in a in absolutely a, in a really nice state, and it's going to go to somebody else, and someone else going to pick it up and run with it. So. I say, in
0: the spirit of continuity, we we say until next time. Okay,
2: okay. on the count of three. Yep. Who's counting the three? You're the producer. You should count the three. All right,
0: I'll count it off. One, two. Three. Until, Until next time. time. <laughs>